We just watched that little introduction video. We're going to be seeing that at the beginning of our, our messages over the next uh, month or two uh, as we look at a new sermon series called Rooted. And so this morning we begin that new series, uh, and it's based on Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. We'll be reading this passage each week to, to begin our message. Uh, and it goes like this it says, So then, uh, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Be rooted. In, in Christ Jesus. We are called to live lives that are deeply connected to Jesus Christ our Lord. And, and we are called to, to continue to, to grow in him. And, and this picture that we have that's painted here, we saw it in the video, this idea of this giant oak tree with its roots down deep into the ground is a, is a great picture of the impact that Jesus has on our life and the effect that God's word should have in, in helping us to grow. Uh, roots growing down deep into the ground, uh, they allow a tree to stand strong against anything that nature may toss against it. A tree with deep roots feeds off from the nutrients of the soil that it is entrenched within, growing stronger each and every day. A tree with deep roots is able to withstand drought and, uh, and the heat, drawing moisture from deep within, uh, within the ground. A tree with deep roots can handle the fiercest of storms and, and wind that come against it. And over the, the course of the next couple months, we'll be examining how, how we can grow our roots down deep into the soil of God's Word and place our trust and faith deep within Christ Jesus so that we too will grow strong in our faith and overflow with thankfulness, as Colossians chapter 2, 6-7 says, and we too will be able to withstand the storms and pressures and droughts of life. Today I want to look at how we can develop roots, deep roots, that, that grow down deep into the Lord through our trust of God and His Word. Through our trust of God and His Word. In, in Jeremiah chapter 17, 5-8, through 8, we, we find a passage that deals with this idea. It goes like this. It says, This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wasteland. They, they will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. And so placing your faith, your trust in man leads to curses, right? And we understand that. Well, how many of us have been let down and disappointed by those we've placed our faith in? Right? The, the, man, the, the people around us, men and women, when we've placed our faith in them, ultimately we are let down. But the verse continues, it gives us the flip side of that. It said, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. They won't be like that bush in the desert, right? They will be like a tree planted by water, by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in the year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. All of this originates as we grow our roots down deep in trusting the Lord. So today, that's our content of what we'll be talking about, this idea of trust. And, and if you think about it, trust is really something that we're all very familiar with. It is the, the foundation or the cornerstone of any relationship that we have in our life. I imagine if you look at the people in your lives that you are closest to, they are also probably the people that you trust the most. 
Would you say that's generally true? Uh, sometimes we can't escape those who are close to us and family members and such. But most of the time, when we have a good, strong relationship, it is built upon trust. And I imagine the reverse is also true as well. If you look at the people in your life that you do not trust, you probably do not have a strong, healthy relationship with them. So we see this, we practice it in our day-to-day lives. And this passage tells us that as we trust in God, something takes place. As we trust firmly in Him, it says that we receive blessings, right? There are blessings in our lives. So in other words, God is saying, I want you to trust me. And as a result of that, I will return the favor. You know, trust really is this. It's, it's a firm belief in something, right? It's a confidence in something. And God is saying, I want that something. I want to be that someone. I want to be that something. I want your, true, your, your firm belief. I want your confidence, So he says, place it within me. And when we place our confidence, our trust, our firm belief in him, Jeremiah 17 says, there are three specific blessings that follow. The first is this. It says that they will have no fear. They will have no fear. Now, fear isn't necessarily a a negative thing, right? Fear isn't always bad in our lives. If you are hunting in the woods and Uh, things go quiet and you hear a a meow behind you, right? It's probably not in a kitten and maybe if you should turn around and have a little fear in your life because fear keeps us safe at times, right? Fear causes a fight or flight reaction and if that cougar is tracking us down, we should have some fear in that moment, right? But so often, it's not just that healthy, keep us safe fear that we experience, right? It's fear in the irrational It's fear in things that we shouldn't fear. Fear in things like death, right? But Scripture tells us do not fear death, right? Fear the one who controls death, right? Fear the Lord. Have a respect and awe for God. Fear Him for He is the one that's most powerful. Don't fear the effects of life, right? Don't fear the things in this world. Fear the one who created and has the real authority and power. But He's saying, I'm going to remove fear. You don't need to worry about those things. You don't need to fear those things. And you don't need to really fear me because I care for you, right? And the next thing it says that we receive as a blessing as we place our trust in the Lord is that we will have no worry. Now, worry is very similar to fear. A fear can be healthy, but often it's irrational. But worry is always about something that isn't real yet, right? Uh, worry is about anxiety and stress and this overwhelming concern about a potential crisis, right? About something that maybe hasn't happened, a, a threat that is simply perceived and not yet realized. You see the difference between fear and worry. Worry has even less substance than fear. And so it says as we trust in him, we will have no fear. We will have no worry as well, whether the... the, the uh, Fear is actual and the worry is just perceived. Both of those are eliminated. And then it says that we will never fail to bear fruit. And we'll talk about that a little later when we get to our memory verse for the, for the month in John 15, 5. As we stay connected to the vine, as we are entrenched within Jesus, we will bear fruit. There is no other option. So why can we have no fear? Why can we leave worry behind us? And why will we continue to bear fruit no matter what? 
And the reason is this, because when we trust God, when we place our confidence and our faith in Him, He responds. He will respond. He does. He is the ultimate first responder. Right? One of the reasons why we value our, our first responders, especially on a day like this when we remember something that happened so tragically in 9-11 uh, 15 years ago with the loss of so many lives, one of the reasons why we value those men and women who went running into the buildings is because that's one of the attributes of God, that sacrificial care for other people. Right? He was the one who first ran to the cross, so we didn't have to be the ones to hang upon it. Right? He is that ultimate first responder. When we trust in God, he responds, and then he directs our steps. Right? He guides our lives in him. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight or he will direct your path. He will guide your pathways, right? He will guide your steps. You know, I did a little research this week. I read quite a few different articles on how to build trust. Now, almost all of the articles had to do with one of two things. The first one was how to develop trust in a team setting. So either, the, either as a, a sports team or like an office work environment where you have to work with other people and building kind of teamwork at work or, again, on, on, on a sports team. But the other, the other option was that it was usually has to do with relationships, with personal relationships. How do you develop uh, how do you develop trust within a personal relationship, which is very important, again, as relationships develop and grow. Now, uh, there were several things that, that uh, were common between those two things, and I feel like this is important for us to, to, to look at, and we can learn from these things, because, if you think about it, we here as a family are a team, right? Using our giftedness and abilities together for the purpose of Christ. We are a family, a team. But we also have an individual relationship with Christ ourselves that needs to continue to develop and grow. So we can kind of get an idea of how we can grow by examining these things. And so as I, as I was reading, I identified uh, some common things. There was about 30 of them that I'm going to go through this morning. No, I'm kidding, not 30. There's only three. No. I just throw that out there because I was at a wedding this last weekend. Actually, not, not this weekend, the one before. And it was a, a Mormon wedding. And I'd never been to one of those before, and they weren't, all, they weren't a whole lot different, but there was a lot more talk about eternal marriage and some things like that I'd never heard of before. And, uh, but but the, uh, the person who was officiating the ceremony happened to be my dentist, which again, was really weird. But uh, uh, as, he was, as he was given his message, he said, and uh, there are 20 principles to a healthy marriage. And I was like, he isn't going to go over all 20 of those. This is, a, this is a wedding. No, he went over all 20 of them. So... Um, I just thought that'd be funny. I don't know. Here we go, though. I want to deal with There was three things specifically that came up in all of those articles. And, he, and here's what we can learn from, from those things. To develop trust in a relationship, we need to be reliable. All right? We need to be reliable. Now, let's look at this in our relationship with God and ask ourselves this question. As we try to develop our trust in God and grow in that trust, is God reliable? Is God reliable? Well, um, let's, let's take a step back for a moment. Have, have any of you guys participated in one of those, uh, those little uh, trust-building exercises where someone gets up on a table and they fall back? You know, like if I were to get up on the community, I'd never do this because I'd probably get fired, but let's just say I wouldn't get fired. 
And I got up and I stood on the communion table and I said, hey, come catch me. Now, that would demonstrate my trust, right, in you guys, that you would catch me, which is why I'm not actually getting up and doing this, <laughs> right? I don't trust you in that way, right? <laughs> I don't trust physics. That's what it really comes down to. But, you know, we, we, we do those things because what it does is it's putting something we verbalize into action, right? It's saying, I trust, now I'm going to show you I trust. And I'm also going to, on the flip side, if I catch you, I prove that trust by being reliable, right? Be, by doing what I say I'm going to do, right? And so, so in that idea, let's think about, about this. You know, we have another word for reliability in our, in our kind of Christian circles. You know what that word is? It's faithfulness. Right? Faithfulness. Another word for trust and reliability is faithfulness. And God's faithfulness is, is one of his most uh, celebrated attributes, both in Scripture and in our worship each and every week. And we sing about it even today. God's faithfulness. Is, is, it's amazing. We love that about him. But if we don't allow him to prove himself faithful, we will never grow in that trust. If we don't actually put it to the test in a sense, then we will never see the fruits of that trust. In Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, way back in the beginning, in the early days of the Israelites, they understood that God was faithful. It says, God is not human, that he should lie. Not a human being, that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? In other words, how you guys treat each other, that's not how God works. Because we do these things, right? Even when we don't mean to. How many of you made promises that you didn't keep? Whether that was intentional or not, we, that's just our nature. We get busy, we forget. God doesn't forget. Right? God doesn't say he's going to do one thing and do something completely different. He's faithful and reliable in who he is. Many years later, one of the psalmists in chapter 86 of the, uh, of the psalm said this in verse 15, But you, O Lord, are a, God of, God, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And faithfulness. And I love this picture right here, and I love that the psalmist added and faithfulness. Because I want, to think, want you to think about this this morning. In any relationship that you might have, where there is love present, how much does that love mean if there is not faithfulness included in it? Right? Husbands and wives, if our spouses say they love us and even do loving things, but they remain unfaithful to their vows, then we don't trust them. It completely uh, erodes the trust in our relationships. Faithfulness, it's an amazing attribute of God. In, in the book of Hebrews, in the New Testament, God continued to show himself faithful. In verse uh, 23 of chapter 10, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Jesus picked up that mantle of faithfulness and reliability and ran with it. Right? And it continues to this day. And I'm sure all of us here, hopefully all of us here today, can point to areas of our life where we've seen the faithfulness of God. We've seen Jesus reprove himself as trustworthy. So when we ask that question as we try to develop our trust in him, is God reliable? Is he worthy of our trust? Hopefully you can answer with a resounding yes, because that's what scripture tells us, and that's what my personal experience says as well. 
Another way that we develop trust in light of this idea that we need to grow our roots down deep into trusting God is this. It says we need to work on communication. Now, I think that's pretty obvious, right? Every relationship needs communication to be strong, to be healthy. So therefore, let's ask ourselves this. Does God communicate with us? Right? Does God communicate with us? And the answer is Yes, he does communicate with us. He has communicated with us. In fact, it's one of his, again, defining characteristic, uh, characteristics, his traits, is that he communicates with his people. He has for the, since time began. He walked and talked with Adam and Eve, and he, he spoke to the, the leaders of Israel, his people, through prophets and through judges and others who led through priests. He, he, he communicates with us, and he communicates with us in a variety of ways. First and foremost is through his word. In John chapter 1, we see this very evident in verses 1 and 14. Uh, I'm just going to read those two verses for you because you'll get the point. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus himself is being referred to here in a form of communication through his Word. Jesus is communication. He is an avenue of, of telling about the love of God. That's His whole life spoke that love. It says in verse 14, that word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. His word, his verbal communication came and became flesh and walked and talked and taught and spoke and loved on his creation, on you and I. The Apostle Paul felt this very deeply, and he wasn't just referring to Jesus, but also to all of Scripture when he said these words in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All these things talking about God. He says, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness. The breath of God itself is his communication to us, and the Bible is that breath of God. It is that voice of God speaking into our lives. And here we are 2,000 years later, and it's just as relevant today as the moment it left his lips. God communicates with his people through his word. But he didn't just leave it there. Right? He communicates outside of his word too. That might get a little scary for us to think about. But think about it in this light. God communicates through his creation. Right now, I'm sure all of us have seen works of art in the past, or maybe you've gone to an art museum. Several years back, I went to the Getty Center down in L.A. What an amazing place that is, and I've never been one who just likes going and look at pictures, but when you start to attribute the age to those pictures, and you understand that these, these pictures are a thousand years old, and yet they endure, and you can get a glimpse into who that person was that lived a thousand years ago through their creation, through their painting through their sculpture, through their music. Right? We see the heart of the artist through the creation that they made, and we can see the heart of our Savior through the world that he created. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. If we open our eyes... And we allow him to show himself to us. We will see the, the imprint of God upon everything in creation. He's there. And he's drawing, himself to, or drawing us to himself. So he communicates through his word and he communicates through his creation. But he's also given us another avenue of creation or of communication. And that avenue is through the Holy Spirit. 
And we were promised by Jesus himself that as we followed him, as we committed our ways to him, that we would receive a helper, an advocate, someone who would, who would help us to communicate with God. In John chapter 16, verse 13, we see this promise. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, and this is Jesus himself speaking, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. That's the voice of God speaking through the Holy Spirit, guiding our lives as we listen. And really, that's the, the difficulty with all three of these ways of communication. It's God is speaking, but are we listening? Does God communicate with us? By all means, yes, He does. Another thing that we can do to develop trust in God as we try to grow these roots down deep into Him is we can value and care about others, right? We, we, as we value and care about others, we grow in our trust of Him because does God care about us? Does He care about you? And does He care about me? Yeah, according to the Scripture, He does. We read this verse just a few weeks ago as we were going through our 316 sermon series. We looked at the most famous of the 316, John 316, right? Which says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Yeah, that's an amazing, amazing verse. There's a reason why it's so beloved by so many people because it shows you how much God values you. And we could read that verse, and maybe we should read that verse with our own names included in there. For God so loved Brian that he gave his only son. See, it personalizes it, and it makes me feel the value that he showed me, and he showed you when he sent his son to that cross. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Does God care about you? Does God care about me? So much so that he would sacrifice the thing that was most important to him, his own son. So we can grow, we can grow, understand and grow in our trust of the Lord by, by a few things. We can understand that God values and cares about us. We can understand that he tries to communicate with us and is there speaking to our hearts if we only listen. And he proves himself reliable as we are willing to fall into his arms and allow him to catch us. You know, this week I was, I was considering those things and I was trying to think of an illustration from Scripture, someone maybe in their life that kind of demonstrated these attributes and and the only person I could really think of, I mean, there's lots of them, but the one that came to my mind most vividly was a man named Job. I'm sure you're familiar with his story, but just to refresh you on his story, Job was a faithful, righteous man. He loved God and he worshiped God, and God had blessed him richly. He had many, many possessions. He had homes and property and, and flocks of animals, and he had, he had lots of kids, and he had riches, and, and he had good health, and, and one day... Uh, the adversary, Satan, appeared before God and, and was challenging God on his people. And, and God said, have you considered my friend Job? And, and he's a righteous man. And no matter what you do, he won't be turned. And, and Satan convinced God to allow him uh, to, to be tested, right? to allow Job to be tested. So, so Satan came against him hard. 
right? And he, he ended up uh, taking away all of his riches, all of his land, all of his flocks were killed or died. His, his crops were burned and his, the ultimate, his kids were, were killed. And Job, in that moment, responded in an amazing way, an amazing way. Yesterday, we had a funeral here at Southside for a very lovely woman, Wilma Peterson. Some of you were there, some of you know her. She was a very faithful servant of the Lord for many, many, many years. I didn't know this about her until yesterday. I knew she had kids. I didn't know how many. I didn't know. And I've known her for a long time. But when she was uh, just a young, kind of a young mother, they were living up in Jefferson, and, and there was a train track that went by their, their home. And one day she was there, and the, some of the kids were in the house, some were outside, and, and uh, she was taking a nap, and she woke up, and she said, why did that train stop? And she jumped up, and she ran outside, and the kids followed her, and she came to where the train was stopped, and there was the, one of her young children, Tom was his name, Tommy, and he was laying in the rocks, and he had been hit by the train, ran over. And she picked up his body and she said, the first things out of her mouth came from Job chapter 1, verse 21. Her response was the same as Job's. Naked I come from my womb, naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now if you want to see an example of trust in who God is and his plans in their life, we can look at someone like Job, and we can definitely follow the example of someone like Wilma, who in the most horrible situation that they could possibly think to find themselves within, they trusted in the name of the Lord. They not only trusted, but they blessed the name of the Lord. They praised the name of the Lord. You know, in the life of Job, as a result of his trust, God was pleased, and he restored to him many of his blessings. He had more kids, and he, he had more uh, possessions and such than he ever had beforehand. In the life of Wilma, he used that, that tragedy to have a major impact on many, countless people throughout the rest of her life. Here's my question along those stories, especially in light of Job. Who was the faith and the trust that Job demonstrated? Who was that shown God already knew. Who was Job proving himself to? God had already said, this is my faithful servant, and he knew. I believe that there are two, two areas or two people that he was showing himself to here. Job was proving his trust almost to himself. And he was growing in those roots that were down deep already, but they were now extra down deep in the foundation of who God is and his trust in him. But what a testimony, most importantly, to the people around him. Right? To the people around him who saw him go through such loss and difficulties in life and stand up and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. And I can't help but think of Wilma again, and all the ladies that she helped, all the families that she was able to help from that point forward. She never saw it as a curse from the Lord. She blessed his name even in her deepest tragedy. Today I want to leave you with two more verses. Both come from the book of Psalm. The first one from chapter 20, verses 7 through 8. 
It says, now this I know, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall. But we, we rise up and stand firm. Where do you place your trust? Do you trust in chariots and horses? Do you trust in your own understanding, as we read earlier in this message? Or in modern terms, do you trust in your own authority and influence? Do you trust in your own physical abilities and skills? Do you put your trust in your bank account or 401k? You put your trust in other people or organizations. I'll tell you this, if that's where your trust is, when the storms of life hit, you will be sorely disappointed. But if you place your trust firmly in the Lord, you will stand and you will rise up and you will endure whatever comes your way. Today, if you have any questions about this, if you have any concerns, you're like, I just don't know. I don't know if I can place that amount in trust in someone I can't even see. I have one more verse for you. It comes from the book of Psalm, chapter 34, verse 8. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Try it. See you can't trust big, then trust small. And when God proves himself faithful in that trust, then trust a little bit more. And I believe that God will continue to show himself faithful. Because that's who he is. Right. Father, we come to you right now and we ask that you develop our trust. You help us to grow deeper in that trust. And God, I hope it's not through trials of life. I would not pray for that, Father, that you would send something our way this week to, to rock our world so our trust grows. I pray that, Father, this week we can grow in spite, of, uh, in spite of those things, without those things in our life. I pray that we can just see your reliability. We can see how you communicate with us, and we can see how much you care and love for us. And as a result of that, we will trust you more. But Father, if the storm comes, if those winds blow or the drought arrive, may the roots that we have hold us firm. And Father, use the good times of our life to help us grow so that we can endure and praise your name in the middle of the trying times. Father, may it all, through it all, we understand that there are times when our faith is small, and sometimes non-existent. Your word says in 2 Timothy, Father, that sometimes we're faithless. But even in that moment, it says that you remain faithful. And so today, we claim that promise. We hold on to that faithfulness. And may it help us endure whatever life throws against us this week. And we ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.